0: Say what you will about Donald Trump. A lot of people are going, well, you know, he's not really a conservative. You know, the purists that complain all the time, the Max Boots, the Tom Dickles, the Jennifer Rubens. I don't even know how that lady is considered a Republican. The Anna Navarros, they cannot get past whatever grabbing by the hoo-ha thing has stuck in their crawl. Now, a lot of Cruz supporters, we didn't like the way Trump attacked Ted Cruz saying his father might have had something to do with JFK, you know, talking about, remember when they had the uh, the closet harem sca- uh, uh, scandal where Ted Cruz is hooking up with AIDS in the closets of uh, some of these conventions he's holding rallies at, all that kind of crap. Yeah, you know, wasn't exactly a fun time, but it is what it is. politics is an ugly sport. And Donald Trump, like him or not, he's... Dismantling the deep state, which is my ultimate thing There's talk about the wall I don't know what's going on with that right now But we, you know, they're trying to allocate funds to it The leftists and progressives are trying to shut it down The courts are trying to step in On everything he's doing And that leads us to what I wanted to talk about Is the courts are being flipped I'm Adrian Slade, thanks for tuning in Trump has flipped The 11th Circuit And the leftists aren't really happy about this while they're doing these fake impeachment hearings and what have you Trump, the guy who moved the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, the guy who's handling the same kind of issues that Benjamin Netanyahu is going through right now, which we may get into a little bit here later in the show. When I first heard that headline, I was like, wow, Benjamin Netanyahu is getting the Trump treatment. Bribery charges, all this, you know, it's almost identical what they're doing to Netanyahu, and that's what they're doing to Trump. But while all this was going on with these impeachment sham hearings, this little political theater that they were running, Trump is flipping courts. He's appointing justices. He's appointing circuit court uh, judges, and that's going to have a lasting impact. And you got to love how the left talk about it. I mean, they're all pissed off. Above the law, this is a, a law website, Trump poised to flip the 11th circuit. For many lawyers and court watchers out there, talk about flipping circuits is misguided. They aren't Republican judges or Democrat judges. They are just judges. And you really can't tell how a court's going to rule based on the party of the president who nominates the judges, which is BS. <laughs> Everyone knows there's activist judges throughout our court system. That's why they shut down the travel ban, you know, the, the Muslim ban. They shut that down. They've got courts out there saying that Trump has to turn over his records. They have courts out there saying that the wall can't be built and it's just ridiculous. Obviously, these courts are playing an activist role and to assume that they are just bipartisan, their objective is... You know, in theory, they're supposed to be, but it's an utter lie. Back to the article. For many lawyers and court watchers, well, let's go down. I've already spoke about that. The people who are saying this are wrong. No, you can't tell in every case, because thankfully the circuits still decide most of the cases on a randomized panel of judges. And sure, when blue slips were thing, the senators from each state had a lot to do with the partisan rabidness of the circuit court judges who ended up getting the nomination. But blue slips are dead. Republicans killed them. And the Trump administration has done nothing but nominate arch-conservatives, FedSoc-approved judges, since they took office. And those judges come with a political agenda. See, the political agenda with judges didn't happen before Trump. You know, there's they might as well just have... We might as well just change the Gregorian calendar to B.T. You know, before Trump and after Trump. (laughs) A.T. I mean... Because everything somehow never happened before Trump. Politicians weren't sitting on yachts with women who they were having adulterous relationships to in their lap. They weren't getting cigar banged with, you know, as a fleshy humidor in the Oval Office. They weren't, uh, politicians weren't going on hiking trips in the Appalachia while hooking up with somebody in Brazil or, or Argentina or wherever the heck he was. Those things never happened Before Trump, BT, but apparently they're happening now. So we didn't have activist judges all appointed to the courts. No, we didn't have that happen at all before Trump, BT, but we have it now. Apparently it's only because their side isn't in. And this is a reason why you have situations like this uh, Adnan Syed's uh, court trial. That was on some podcast called Serial. The Supreme Court rejected the bid for a new trial and sent it back down. Supreme Court doesn't have to take on something that they think can be handled on a lower level. And if that lower level gets changed politically away from activism, then that works out in our favor pretty daggone well. Trump has already flipped the third circuit. He's made serious inroads on other circuits, and now he's poised to fully flip the 11th circuit. A giddy Ed Whelan took time out of his search for a real attempted rapist to explain on National Review. Quote, 11th Circuit Judge Stanley Marcus has announced that he will take senior status on March 2nd, 2020. Or, upon confirmation of his successor, whichever comes first, Marcus was appointed to his seat by President Clinton in 1997. Counting active judges by the party of the appointing president is an admittedly crude and imperfect measure of an ideological makeup of a federal appellate court. Marcus, who was appointed to the federal district court by President Reagan in '85, was not viewed as liberal. With that large caveat, I'll note that the 11th Circuit is currently divided 6-6 between appointees of Republican presidents and appointees of Democratic presidents. So when Trump fills Marcus's seat, the 11th Circuit will flip to a 7-5 majority of Republican appointees. At the outset of the Trump administration, it had an 8-3 to Democratic majority with one vacancy, so that's an impressive swing. And remember, like I was saying, with the Democrats, they will go to whatever length. There's nothing holding them back. What? Morals? Standards? Constitutionality? <laughs> Seriously, do you think they think of those things? They only think of them when it works in their favor. This is Matthew Iglesias. He's a Vox blogger, or Vox, V-O-X. Yeah, that clickbait garbage that you see going through your timeline on social media with crazy headlines that get ratioed out of out of out of existence they just get pummeled with comments of people just showing how silly their headlines are this is what he had to say we may soon have a conservative block on the court that's too large to dislodge blocking all progressive change indefinitely while advancing by stealth a conservative agenda that couldn't win at the polls but at least we enjoyed some good rgb memes along the way see he's a little worried there about you know rbg who was just in the hospital again for infection and for a fever you know a lot of people they love to show videos of her working out look she's like wonder woman only she's like a hundred and she's you know got her little walker that she's swinging around doing push-ups on yeah she's not exactly in the most perfect health And we don't wish anything ill. See, we're not like the left. The left will get out there and go, I can't wait for this person to die, (laughs) you know, because they suddenly are the moral betters, the Puritans, you know, love Trump's hate, except if you're a Republican and then we can just totally rip on you whether you died, you know, like they did to John McCain or whether you're sick and then they can just sit there and destroy you on social media, Roger Ailes, whatever the case may be, Koch brothers, you know, the... They're just going to go through and call you the devil and wish that you burn in hell, the hell that they don't believe in because they're majority atheist. but the, the hell that Ron Jr., Ron Reagan Jr. doesn't think he's going to burn in. They can wish that upon you, but no, we have to be very weary on our side because we don't need to operate in that fashion. We have to have class. We have to have standards. We have to be the Christian person that we should be and praying for RGB um, to get better. But we also have to realize a couple of things. We're flipping the circuits. You know, Trump's over there flipping circuits like he's a freaking telephone operator back in the 20s. You know, we've got... um, Back in the 30s or whatever. You've got... um, The possibility of a Supreme Court justice, which right there scares the death out of all of them. They're going to say, well, you should have put Merrick Garland up there because he should have been the one. Whatever. But the truth of the matter is the courts could go in our favor, depending on the length of Trump's tenure. And that scares the death out of the left because the left has been advancing agenda through the courts. I love what Carl Paul has said. The constant whine of Quote, why must we enact fundamental transformations through the avenues with which the Constitution allows fundamental transformations rather than actually proposing these transformations through the constitutional avenues is why they don't succeed. You want you want to transform gun rights? Fine. Propose an amendment and let the people decide. You want to enact property tax on billionaires? Fine. Propose an amendment and let the people decide. Exactly. The legislative branch is where laws are made, not the Supreme Court, not the justices in the circuit courts, the district courts. None of those are to create legislation, even though John Roberts was out there helping, you know, spike the ball in the hoop for Obamacare by rewriting the law so that it comes across more of a tax, not a tax. I'm still scratching my head over that one. So we need to realize that. That's how the judges have been operating. That's how the left has been using the courts. And it needs to go back to the original situation where Congress writes the laws. Supreme Court just reviews them for constitutionality. You know, the executive branch can fire whoever they want. Ambassadors to Ukraine. You know what I'm saying? They can fire. They can have recommendations to have the Navy secretary ousted. I mean these things within the bureaucratic side can happen under the president's orders. Why he didn't go through and clean house in the first place is probably why we are sitting in this slow demise of the deep state when it could have been happen- it could have happened on day 1. But that's another story. The fact that it is happen happening at the moment is something to celebrate. But on top of it The flipping of the court is very important. And it's important because it's not that we are moving it to the Republicans so the Republicans can be the GOP masterminds of the courts. No, we're doing it to move back to the roots, to get back to the objectivity and the founding of the court system, to get back to, because most of the Republican uh, justices, they're not operating on agenda. I'm not going to say that some don't, but they're, they're not commissioned to go out And push agenda. They weren't activists. They're not on a mission. The left is. And the left has been using them to do things like, you know, the Ninth Circuit has been utterly just devastating to liberty. It's upheld progressivism. We have to realize that whether you like Trump or not, whether you're a never-Trumper, whether you are somebody who doesn't like his... Tacked with women. You know, they don't like his tweets, which really arguably that's the one thing that's allowing him to get his message across. Tweet all day. You want to go out there and drop memes of of Chris Cuomo calling his mom and having Trump on the other line? <laughs> go right ahead. I have no problem with that. That makes this so much more fun. And it allows Trump to communicate beyond the filter of the news media, who's obviously stacked up against him, because I've never seen George W. Bush. It was bad. Reagan. It was bad. You know, of course, as soon as uh, Clinton showed up on the scene after George H. Bush, they were talking about boxers or briefs and they were talking about, look at him walking on the beach and he's so presidential. He's putting stones on the beach and him, him and Hillary are dancing. Even though Monica Lewinsky news dropped at the same time, all of that, that news media, Flipping, which we can get into in a little bit, because there's some really amazing articles that came out about Obama being a conservative and about how if it happened under Obama, it was okay, But under Trump, it's not. We'll get into some of that stuff. But yeah, this is what we're running into. The news media is going to combat him all the way and he's going to tweet around it. Now, you may not like the tact of his tweets. You may not like the fact that he's brash. But you have to respect the fact that the courts are moving back in the right direction. You have to respect the embassy in Jerusalem being recognized. You have to respect the tax cuts, the rooting out of the deep state. You know, the tariff war, believe it or not, has been working somewhat decently with China because China is looking to destroy America. China is looking to be America's new leader. And yeah, they can call the note whenever they want pull the rug out under us economically, but that would destroy them as well. What we have to do is eliminate their power. But the flipping of the court should be something to be celebrated. You would think somebody who even is like the mildest never-Trumper or even the most ardent never-Trumper would kind of go, yeah, you know, I'll give them, give them a high five on that one. Kudos. Good job, Orange Man. But no, they can't let it go. They can't let it go if this guy is doing the things that they were hoping a Jeb Bush, a Kasich, a Rubio would do. And he's doing it more so than we've ever had. George W. Bush wouldn't have done these things. George H. Bush wouldn't have done these things. Reagan would have. but And I'm not saying Trump is Reagan, but Trump is definitely a new phase in the lineage, a phase that was necessary the phase that I've come to embrace, I'm fine with it. Rip the deep state apart, flip the courts, put it back to the GOP, or put it back to objectiveness. I, that's where I'm at with all this. I'm fine with the courts moving away from progressive activism. While Trump impeachment craziness continues over the fact that they believe that Trump contacted the Ukraine To pressure them with aid, military aid, from America to go after Joseph Biden, Lunchbox Joe, uh, his son, (laughs) because they want to destroy Joe Biden's presidential campaign, which is complete other BS. But that's another story. Um, Joe Biden's trying to fortify his campaign with a new running mate. And one of the names that he has chosen was Stacy Abrams. Remember her? She was the Georgia state politician running for governor. I think she's like sort of the governor at arms or she's like the ghost governor because she didn't win, but she never conceded. She still thinks that it was robbed. Stacy Abrams is pretty interesting because <laughs> she also, outside of the fact that she had the Black Panthers stumping for her at the polling places, which doesn't show voter intimidation whatsoever, does it? Um, she used to be a, rom- a romance novelist And one of her novels is in development with CBS for a series This is from Hot Air She's a romance novelist One of her books is under development with CBS to become a television series Stacy's writing career may be news to you Because she writes under a pseudonym A non-diplume Selena Montgomery They all have assumed names, don't they? Barry Sotero she has eight romance suspense novels published to date, totaling combined sales of 100,000. The book that CBS has picked up is titled "Never Tell." Now, one may ask, did they contact Fabio and say, "Hey, look, Fabio, you got you got to register to be a Democrat voter first, then put on the blackface, lay out on the couch, we'll get the fan blowing your hair in the wind, we'll have." a lady that you can clutch in her arms and we can paint the portrait, which will be Stacey Abrams' (laughs) romance novel. Because you have to have the voter registration to do anything like blackface because you have Democrat privilege. But she apparently wrote some interesting uh, novels. In fact, from the Federalists, they say, as a romance novelist, Stacey Abrams leaned heavily on the word plunder. Her books are filled with Bursting, cresting, and arching. There's a fair amount of savoring. Men's thighs are described as muscled and corded. Yeah. So, apparently she has, <laughs> she, <sighs> her books. She says, my principles, Abrams recently explained, flow through and are evident in everything I write. For a better taste of those principles, here's a selection of hilarious excerpts from the storied career of Selena Montgomery. This is Sebastian Kane and Dr. Caitlin Lita in Secrets and Lies. He thrust deep, control broken, shattered again and again, deeper and hotter and further than fantasy. With urgency, she accepted him, fascinated by the power. And for a moment, she wavered, wondering if she was prepared. In the next second, she knew she could never be. Cat moved beneath him her body too full to stay motionless, their mouths coupled, imitating that dance that frenzied her limbs, wrapping her into him. Sebastian flew above her, driven to claim and imprint himself forever. He nuzzled her breast, finding the wild beats and pressed a kiss just there, sealing his face. He stretched her, drained her and completed her. She surrounded him, took him, And filled him. Good God, that's freaking disgusting. Hidden sins. Here's one. Watch me love you, he commanded silently. Know that I will always be part of you. By design, he flowed over every inch of gossamer skin in voracious, (laughs) voracious tender assault. By turns, he stole her soul, destroying her with a generosity she scarcely understood. That's me throwing up in my mouth. I don't want to read any more of this crap. But these are some of the books. She has one called Deception. I'm not going to get into that one. Reckless. Love me, he demanded, taking her once more. Afraid she did. Cal kissed him. A merger that spoke words she wasn't ready to say aloud. Arousal. Ravenous and craven. Bent to a stronger, more fragile need than that consumed her. Stacy Abrams. Romance novelist. <laughs> Bringer of of puke (laughs) bringer of indigestion. So yeah, Stacey Abrams apparently is one of the ones tapped to be Joe Biden's running mate. So you got corn pop out here, eyes bleeding, dentures falling out, doesn't know what city he's campaigning in. He's talking to the back of the room. He's just saying nonsense and you'll have the romance novelist as your running mate. The lady who never conceded in Georgia and who has a story collection is Selena Montgomery. You can't make the craziness of the Democrat Party nominations any more of a clown show. It's literally insane. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. As we get together with our family, we look back at the blessings that God has given us. We're in that new holiday season now of dinner table political recruitment. That's a wonderful time of year where the news media always seems to prep us and prep their minions for the holiday political discussions. And they'll tell you that this is what you should say. They'll tell you, they'll even subcontract points of view out to you so that you can feel as though you can make your arguments seem more thoughtful. And this is especially pointed at their newly indoctrinated foot soldiers. You know, those who are feverishly burning the candles at both ends to procure that $50,000 college degree in French couture fashion design, armed with talking points and nothing more. No supporting documentation, no information, no deeper understanding of what they're spouting off. But they're ready to burst into the foyer, wide-eyed, enlightened, ready to spar and divide the family. Yay, politics! I mean, thank the Lord that we have bottles of red Zinfandel on hand to watch out, you know, to get us through these mind-numbing arguments. And we'll get the castigation of our founding. We'll get that speech about how evil, uh, the evil genocide of the white man, how evil they were in the Americas, how they were destroying and conquering and plundering as though they were commissioned to do so from the start. Hey, go out there and find that land that you don't know exists and kill all of those people that are on it and take it over for us. You know, because that's the way it's presented in school. And then they'll complain that, you know, look at you slaughtering innocent fowl. These turkeys, they have feelings just as we do. And we're killing them in favor of greedy consumption and evil capitalism. And you're over there emitting climate constricting fumes that affect our climate and could be raising the degrees of the atmosphere from your big box, big corporation turkey fryers in order to celebrate a genocidal holiday of gluttony and white privilege. They'll talk about how oppression still reigns supreme in the land of the free, but to cure it, we need to remove the system of government that has been the most successful form of government For over 200 years and supports freedom and liberty. we got to get rid of all that. We have to have a system that allows for, uh, you know, think about about the system we have right now. They want to switch it with something that allows a sense of community and a village and everybody pulls together. We have a system right now that allows for an environment for personal success. Based on your personal hard work and your personal responsibility. And you know what? Sometimes... That hard work doesn't result in the outcome you wish. Sometimes you're not successful even as hard as you've tried. But that, you know what? It's all right. You can try something else. You aren't mandated to be removed from your career as an accountant in order to be reassigned to feeding zoo animals, as that personal account from the Cuban refugee recounted on our previous podcast. Bloated taxes for a heavy welfare state simply because you're livid over the fact that you have a liability now to pay towards your education indoctrination, that's not going to cure the ailments of perceived inequality. Pie in the sky manufactured and government-managed solutions won't be a fix. Pretending that overly taxed Norwegian nanny state nations are the model cure for what will fix everything in America and believing that that's actual democratic socialism. That, that, that illustrates the lack of nuance and critical thinking that has basically been eliminated from every college campus. And when everyone is sitting down with the bounty that was provided by capitalism, tons of cranberry sauce, you might have it homemade from ingredients that were brought to the grocery store, which is a capitalist organization in, its, uh, uh, in and of itself. You can maybe even get it in the form of a can. But you know what? Capitalism brought it there. Turkeys from... From everywhere, from small local farms, which are businesses in and of themselves, from the meatpacking industry, all brought to the grocery store, all brought through a trucking uh, company. You know, I mean, stovetop dressing or dressing made from ingredients that were all brought about by capitalism. You can use the history of Thanksgiving to debunk the entire democratic socialism's mythos. And this is from libertyunderfire.org. This Thanksgiving, we think of the pilgrims enjoying abundant food, but this was not their real reality. Few will mention the starving times, the first year in 1620, when half died of starvation. Harvests were not bountiful in that year, and the next two as well. Plymouth was beset by laziness and thievery. William Bradford, the governor of the colony, in his history of Plymouth Plantation, reported that, quote, Much was stolen both by night and day to alleviate the prevailing condition of hunger. The mythical feast of the first Thanksgiving did fill their bellies briefly, he reported, and they were grateful, but abundance was anything but common. And why did this happen? Because they had fallen victim to the socialistic philosophy of share the wealth. This disincentivized the productive base of society. Then suddenly, as though night changed today, the crop of 1623 was bounteous. And those thereafter were as well. And it had nothing to do with the weather. Bradford wrote, Instead of famine, now God gave them plenty and made the face of things change to rejoicing of the hearts of many, for which they blessed God. He concluded later, Any general want or Famine hath not been amongst them since this day. and one variable alone made the difference and ended the three-year famine. They abandoned the notion of government or corporation owning the means of production and distribution in favor of the individual having property and being responsible to take care of himself. Before, no one had benefited by working because he received the same compensation as those who didn't work. After the change, everyone kept the benefits of their labor. Those who chose not to work basically chose also to be poor. And the government, corporation, no longer confiscated from those who produced to give those who did not. No government food stamps here. Ironically, all of this could have been avoided had Plymouth consulted history and communicated with their neighboring colony some distance south of them, who had previously been down the same trail. Jamestown, remember 1607? Two was a first socialist society where each produced according to his ability and received according to his needs, which of course affected supply. One cannot divide what does not exist. Our textbooks tell us that only one twelfth survived the first two years for precisely the same reason: starvation. The problem, as noted by Tom Bethel in his work *The Noblest Triumph: Property and Prosperity Through the Ages*, was identified. By an unnamed participant as, quote, want of providence, industry, and government, and not the bareness uh, and defect of our of the country. Captain John Smith is credited with having saved the floundering colony by his, quote, no worky, no edy government program. Once again, the Virginia company was the government. And he was hated for it, addicted to the promise of getting something for nothing, even if it was always less than promised, the receiving part of the population will always oppose they're not getting their fair share. Sound familiar? Captain Smith was eventually carted off to England in chains as fast as the parasitic population could do so. Once again, why? Philip A. Bruce, in his economic history of Virginia in the 17th century, called it agricultural socialism. Quotes, the settlers did not have even a modified interest in the soil. Everything produced by them went into the store in which they had no proprietorship. When the settlers finally were allowed to own their own property and keep what they produced, things changed overnight. Colony Secretary Ralph Hamer wrote of incoming prosperity beginning in 1614 after ownership of land was allowed. When our people were fed out of the common store, they labored jointly together, Glad was he who could slip from his labor or slumber over his task. He cared not how. Nay, the most honest among them would hardly take so much true pains in a week, as now for themselves they will do in a day. Neither cared for the increase, presuming that, however, the harvest prospered. The general store must maintain them so that we reaped not so much corn from the labors of 30 as now three or four do provide for themselves. So again, socialism didn't work in either one of the colonies. And when we think of Thanksgiving, we have to think of the abundant feast that they eventually had once they abandoned socialism. It's almost like the uh, the story of, of Israel in the Bible where they had to build the wall and they didn't have a lot of time to build it. And instead of them trying to Just get together and just build the wall all the way around. It was up to everybody individually to build a section of the wall and place it up. And they got it done quickly, quicker than they imagined. Because even though you're working for yourself and you're working for your family, your productivity spills out into society and creates a nation of productive, liberty-loving individuals. And that is the message of Thanksgiving And so when you're sitting there with your socialist friends, your democratic socialist friends, and they're bloviating about how America is so awful and how it's so oppressive, even though, you know, my wife makes more money than I do, even though women are succeeding all over the place as Hewlett Packard's CEO and down the line. You look at all of the industries, you know, you look at the fact that the NFL has given us tons and tons of minorities who are succeeding beyond their wildest dreams. Only these things can be done in a country of opportunity. And you do not get that opportunity with socialism. So I wanted to make sure that I covered some Thanksgiving content because we are coming up on Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. So that's kind of why I kind (laughs) of went on that rant. But there's some other things in the news I think you guys need to be aware of. Some amazing things that will kind of shock you when you realize um, there's some things we've talked about here on the Adrian Slade Show, especially when we talk about Syria, things we've been discussing that a lot of people on both conservative media sites and liberal media sites have tried to rail against. And I'm not a fan of Tulsi Gabbard's policies, but I do kind of like her foreign policy. I don't like her domestic horrible on abortion horrible on borders but with Syria she was intellectually curious as I was and if you remember I went back and around 2014 I think it was 2015 it was before there was any election I was talking with some people online we had our own little think tank group and We just kept going, why are we in Syria? Nothing made sense. And then we dug and dug and then we found a lot. And we realized what we're doing in Syria isn't to help the civil war. Uh, It isn't to help the free Syrian army take down Assad, who's gassing his people. We found many instances where Assad wasn't doing the gassing. That's not what the news media said. And that's not what led to German and French and British aircraft, and including American aircraft, going in and bombing installations and dropping bombs on, on military runways like we did when we dropped those missiles. Well, there's a bigger thing going on in the background. And one of the aspects that I found was a competing natural gas pipeline proposal. One between Turkey, Qatar, uh, I wanted, I think even the UAE, France, Germany, and then the other one for Russia and Iran. And obviously, for some reason, everything exploded and we decided we were going to help Al-Qaeda, to which I was completely perplexed. I kept scratching my head going, how are we going to help the people who took down the Twin Towers? Of course I found my found my answer in a business insider article that basically said if we keep them in disarray over there that then they would leave us alone over here. And then if you remember the attack in Duma, rumor you had Aleppo and it was a similar situation in the city of Duma or the town of Duma basically a chemical attack occurred then the al qaeda people rushed in Assad rushed in to kind of take control of the situation. Of course, the white helmets roll in. And we remember the white helmets were just another wing of this movement, another wing of al-Qaeda. They were there for the branding and marketing. They were there to look, look at this. It's like these people got together and they're there to help. The injured, and then you find out that they're going in there and they're euthanizing people, and they're stealing their jewelry, and they're recognized as Al Qaeda members. But yet they're the they're the squad that was helping everybody, so that the West can look over and go, "Look at those people! They're so great! They're so uh, you know benevolent! They're out there helping their their freedom fighters and giving them rescue." And then you see a doctor who is showing up in one photo who's got an RPG, <laughs> and he's got like he's on top of a tank on another. When he was with Al-Qaeda. Yeah, all of that was going on. Of course, the White Helmets were actually organized by a non-profit, non-governmental organization here in America, Purpose LLC, and also with a London NGO. That's odd, isn't it? And so all of this was happening. And in Duma, they finally eradicated the militants, the ISIS fighters who, I remember, ISIS were once a part of al-Qaeda, but al-Qaeda removed themselves from, or basically disowned ISIS, because ISIS was so brutal and so 7th century, if you can imagine that, more brutal than taking down the World Trade Center towers. And so they ended up getting pushed over to Idlib, and Idlib is where everything is happening right now, and that's close to the Turkish border. But one of the things that we kept looking at is, we kept seeing through our research, Maybe Assad didn't do all of this. Maybe it wasn't his doing. And we found Amnesty International articles that said, oh yeah, that was al-Qaeda that gassed that town. We found another UN report. I still have all the documents that basically said, oh yeah, that was al-Nusra al-Qaeda that gassed the town. Well, check out what came out in the UK Daily Mail. New sexed up dossier fuhrer explosive leaked email claims that UN watchdogs report into alleged poison gas by Assad was doctored. So was it to justify British and American missile strikes on Syria? Hmm. I don't know. Let's take a look and see what the rest of the article says. A leaked email dramatically indicated that the UN's poison gas watchdog had butchered and censored a critical report ...on an alleged chemical attack in Syria. The email makes no attempt to suggest what did happen in Douma. It simply points out that hard evidence gathered and examined by non-political scientists... ...does not support the officially endorsed version. And it claims that this resulted in the OPCW redacting the report... ...to the extent that its conclusions were misrepresented. The revelation appears to be the worst instance of, quote, sexting up in support of war... Since the the invasion of the Iraq, uh, the invasion of Iraq with Tony Blair's doctor dossiers, a whistleblower has made public the astonishing email of protest, which was sent to the senior officials at the OPCW. And it says that the independent scientist officials report on the Duma incident had been slashed and censored so severely that it led to misrepresentative of a misrepresentation of facts, leaving out key information. It hid the fact that traces of chlorine found on the site were merely a tiny trace of elements in parts per billion and in forms that could have been found in any household bleach contain major deviations from the original report submitted by impartial experts so that it had quote morphed into something quite different, suppressed a total mismatch between the symptoms allegedly displayed by the victims at the scene and the effects of the chemicals which were actually found, the symptoms seen on harrowing videos shown at the time of the incident incident simply did not match the symptoms which would have been caused by any material found at the site. So, the UK Daily Mail has seen the email of protest which one scientist at the OPCW submitted to his superiors. It refers to the original expert report from Duma, which says the email was savagely censored. This original report, if it had been published as written, would not have supported the widespread claims that poisonous gas was used in Duma on April 7, 2018. If any such gas was used, it was not a gas known to or detected by scientists who visited the scene, examined the buildings and soil, and carefully checked out the samples. This is utterly amazing because we talked about this. In fact, One American News did a video, uh, did a little report on it and people bagged them as being apologists for Assad and spreading propaganda. They were there on the scene and they were like, "Uh, we don't see anything. You do all the research you can and you see the chlorine tanks, you see what was shot, you see, well, they weren't tanks of chlorine, they were tanks disguised as tanks with chlorine. Uh, It's amazing what has happened in Syria. The thing that really gets me about this whole situation is what I learned about this Civil Society 2.0, and I, I give it to Glenn Beck and The Blaze because they dug deep to find this, and it may explain a little bit more about Syria. It, it'll explain about the Arab Spring, Tunisia. You know, it'll explain what's happening in Chile. Basically, the crux of it is our State Department may have been before Hillary Clinton was there, but it was really ramped up when Hillary Clinton was there. Our State Department was going to different nations it was training young militants young revolutionaries how to basically conduct an a, a violent protest and it was basically showing them how to use social media to organize this was done through George Soros NGOs this is what happened in Ukraine it's what happened it's what's happening in Chile i'd argue it's what's happening in Venezuela but basically these revolutionaries are trained they're they're savvy through tech that's why in the uh, Benghazi movie you see them showing up with different you know tech uh, social media things they're organizing suddenly on the spot they all organize and start firebombing the embassy in Benghazi the state department was responsible for all of this and what they were doing is they were looking to collapse governments This would allow them to rewrite constitutions, set in place, democratic socialist uh, regimes. And the organizations that would be responsible for the heavy handed attacks on the government, the revolutions are leaderless, much like Antifa. Hmm. Isn't democratic socialist a part of Antifa and they're wanting to bring down the government so that they can change? Yeah, that's happening here in America, too. So this is going on all over the place, and one might say that this was happening in Syria, but Putin stepped in, like him or not, and Iran stepped in to try to capitalize on it, to which Israel destroyed their capitalization, because in in Syria, Iran was setting up bases all over the place to put pressure on Israel, and Israel came in and single-handedly knocked out most of the bases and then uncovered all of the cache of uh, nuclear secrets that they had. Well, this could be this could be happening in Venezuela, too, because if you remember the popular will party, Juan Guaido's party, go look him up, Democratic Socialist. Hmm. Why would we want to collapse the Maduro Maduro regime, which is horrid, and replace it with a Democratic Socialist uprising? Pretty odd, isn't it? Why would we support that? Now, we would support it because it's probably a better situation than what they're at, but they sit on a cache of oil a cache of natural energy resources that they can't even enrich and produce for themselves because they squandered all of their resources and money and now they have to export or import all that stuff and they can't export what they have. But why is it a democratic socialist organization that is being propped up? Of course, we haven't really helped them as much as we would think. Could it have been a State Department ruse? Could this be something that the State Department was doing there, as they're doing in Chile? And, you know, just on a cultural note, I know entertainment gets littered with politics, trying to indoctrinate and push agendas. You know, this really kind of came to a head. We've got everything going on with Chick-fil-A and what have you. But this came to a head with the uh, TV show Jack Ryan on Amazon. And I had a lot of people bagging on me for defending Jack Ryan because they said, look at this, Jack Ryan is, the premise is Venezuela, And they're saying that the Maduro regime, which is the regime that's in there, is very Maduro-esque. And they're trying to say, this is a nationalist regime, and the uprising is socialist, and they're pushing for socialism. And so I'm never watching it again. To which I was like, no, that's what's really happening in, in Venezuela. Juan Guaido, the popular will party, is a democratic socialist party, and Maduro is a nationalist. But he's a socialist, and that's why they're in collapse. But, you know, if you don't know what Jack Ryan is, it's a, it's a CIA uh, agent. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's fiction, so, you know, CIA agents aren't doing exactly what he's doing in real life. But it's a CIA agent very similar to a Jack Bauer kind of uh, 24, um, Carrie Matheson homeland kind of premise. The first season he goes to the Middle East and he's chasing uh, Suleiman, who is very similar to uh, Osama bin Laden. And in this season, they see that there is a Chinese vessel out there shooting missiles off and they're stopping over in Venezuela. So he's checking out what's going on in Venezuela. And there is an uprising of people that want to take power away from the leader who is very came from a poor family. And he's now leader with his brother And the movement that wants to replace him is trying to do it democratically, but they're socialist. And everybody said, I'm never watching Jack Ryan again. That is what is happening in Venezuela. I just wanted to throw that in there because I was like, this isn't some indictment of Trump. And they didn't destroy Tom Clancy because he wrote it. They basically were taking a real situation and throwing Jack Ryan in the middle of it. The nationalism doesn't mean it has to be American Venezuelan nationalism was Maduro very proud of his heritage and his country, although he took it over from Hugo Chavez and the economy tanked because the price of oil couldn't hang. But just keep that in mind. If you're a fan of Jack Ryan and you've seen these people complain about the TV show and they say, oh, they're pushing socialism and I'm never watching them again. You know, take that anger out on football who's pushing all types of crazy stuff. You know, take that anger out on, on don't take it out on Chick-fil-A. I, th- I think they're just kind of restructuring their philanthropy, but you know, just think about it a little bit more and do some research because it isn't exactly what you think it is. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo50 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to mojo50.com every Wednesday, 10 PM also, get the podcast: iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five star review. That's going to help us go up in the ratings, so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreoncom slash Show. Give two dollars a month, or go to Anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter, at Rants Out Loud, or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku Streaming Channel store be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.